Hi and welcome to episode 159 of Art Juice. This is honest, generous and humorous conversations to feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Louise Fletcher and me, Alice Sheridan. And this week, our topic is something we haven't actually touched on before, I don't think. Does art have to be beautiful? Uh, Perhaps we're talking about this because we're both making art that isn't beautiful. (laughs) We'll see. Um, But uh, before we get into that, what have you been up to this week, Alice? Um, Yeah, it's been one of those weeks that kind of gets taken over a little bit um, by other things. Um, my son's back. He had to have emergency wisdom teeth operation, which is grim these days. I had it done with a general anaesthetic. Have you had it done? No, I never got wisdom teeth. I have no oh. wisdom, apparently. Oh, well, in my day, they decided it was so brutal they had to put you under. Now they don't bother with that. You, they just give you local anaesthetics and dig them all out right in front of you. So that was fun to sit and watch, poor kid. Um, so, yeah, so we've been, um, he's been recovering from that. And um, I've just been having a little bit of a sort of review. I'm, I'm doing another series of these little small ones. And I mentioned before that it feels that's a real change from the big ones that I've just finished. And so I just thought, actually, rather than just keep going blindly, pick a few out. Which ones are speaking to me more at the moment? And how is that sort of linking back to what I might want to do next or what's going on um, in the big paintings? And also in the other studio, I've just started a whole round. How many I've got going? I don't know, 16 or something of middle sized ones with a little just a kind of open, an open exploratory attitude. But I do also want them to link back to the big pieces that I finished. So there's a bit of a push and pull there going on. Um, And I've also booked a photographer to get work photographed. And I'm thinking of next round of prints and how I might do that differently this time. So I'm, I'm in that stage where kind of like ideas are fizzing and nothing's quite settled yet. So that's where I've been this week. How about you? Oh, Riley's just come in the room. Hi, Riley. Hey, Riley. He's, oh. allowed up, he's allowed upstairs now. This is a new development. Ah. He's been out at his daycare all day, so he's a bit lonely. <laughs> I um, I had a day the other day when ideas started really coming in. So I've said that I've been exploring for the last few weeks and just doing collage stuff and personal stuff. I feel like I had some ideas about what my next work might be, but it wasn't very clear. and. All of a sudden, last was it the end of last week or weekend, I had a day where it started. The only way I can describe it is like things drop into place. Mm. I start realizing, oh, this and this and this ties in with this. And that's why you're doing this. And so I got a little notebook and just scribbled everything down in it. And then as I scribbled the ideas down of what I thought I was doing, I know I'm being a bit vague, but it's hard to describe it. Then uh, other ideas came for specific paintings, which is not normally the way I work. So normally I just work and then things develop in on the board or canvas. But yeah. I actually have some ideas for what I might want to do. Who knows whether they'll actually work or happen. But I was jotting all of those down. One painting could be this, one painting could be this. And so the whole series was kind of starting to take clearer shape. And I find those days just fascinating because we've talked about Desert of Blah 
a couple mm. of weeks ago. It's like you're walking around in that and then all of a sudden you've got some clarity and then it can either keep feeling clear or it can disappear again and perhaps you'd had a glass of wine and it's not as clear when you wake up the next morning as you thought it was when you... But but I, I love that feeling of just... It's kind of magical mm. that things... That the paintings or the work you're doing lead you in a direction. And one of the things I've been exploring that, that kind of created all these ideas, I just wanted to give a shout out um, and acknowledge somebody who's gave me the idea for this. There's an artist called Drew Steinbrecher uh, on Instagram. He's got a great Instagram profile and he does jelly plate printing, which I've been doing just reams of recently, uh, just creating, practicing mark making and really more finding my marks rather than practicing, but trying to find my shapes and symbols and marks that I might want in my work. So because of that, I came across him. And the thing that inspired me is he has this fantastic idea um, where he buys those. Do you know those books they have for toddlers with the boards for pages? Mm-hmm. And he buys those in charity shops and he makes his sketchbooks out of those because you can collage on those and they'll just take lots and lots of stick. And so I was I saw it and I was like, that is just what I need because I need to collect these marks and curate them now and start looking at what I really love. So off to the charity shop, I went and bought up every board book that they had (laughs) and then went to the works where they selling them off for two pounds each and bought whatever they had. And I made six books over the weekend wow. out of all the prints that I'd already made. You know, then I curated them down. And what was fascinating about the process was the prints are all sorts of things I tried. And then there's a process of curation where I sorted out the prints I liked from the ones I didn't. And then a further curation when I chose which ones to stick in the book and which parts of which prints were my favorites to go in the books. And then a final process when I flick through the book and say, that page I don't like as much as the others. And so it was a really refining process. And that triggered all of these thoughts and ideas from that. But the idea of the baby books, I shouldn't be saying it on here because now everyone will rush out and buy up all the baby board books from local charity shops. But they're great. And you could also gesso the pages and then paint on them. It doesn't have to be for collage, but they have a lovely binding. And so they come out as really neat little books. So that, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Yeah. Do you find that the uh, what did you particularly enjoy about the jelly printing the kind of the 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 speed of it or the fact that you're not doing it onto a painted so you know that the painted surface I think it's it's both of those things because it's the ability to experiment quickly and cheaply without having to wait for anything to dry so I'm printing on newsprint and wet strength tissue paper so both cheap things that don't cost very much and If you're experimenting with marks on panels, even if you have 10 paintings going at once, I can very quickly whiz around 10 paintings and then they're all wet and now I've got nowhere else to go. So I enjoy being able to make 50, 60, 70 versions of prints and just fling them on the floor one after another and then come back and look at them and say, is there anything here for me? And just certain marks, there's one uh, that I started to do handprints onto 
the jelly plate. But then when you collage those on wet strength tissue paper, you collage those onto children's books, it just, this lovely serendipitous, all the color from the Winnie the Pooh book was coming through the clear parts of the handprint and it was black and white or black and transparent and it looked beautiful. And so then I was like, oh, you know, prints like that over the collage backgrounds I'm creating, that's an effect I can work with. Um, but so I think it was the, it's the separation from myself that printmaking gives you. Yeah, that's a lovely part of it. It's the fastness, it's the speed, and it's the, the inexpensive experimentation, but then the ability to sort through it and say, out of all the things I made, here are the 10 things that feel most like me. And why do they feel most? Like now I'm asking why. Why that? Why do I like that mark versus that mark? And why do I like that color versus that color? And so I'm less interested in, for example, Drew, his profile is a lot about all the things you can do with a jelly plate. And I'm less interested in that as a way of making art and just interested in it as a tool for the explorations that I'm doing at the moment. Yes, it was a route to get you through the next doorway kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. just another tool and something a bit different. And um, I'm also doing a lot of free drawing and I'm doing all sorts of other things as well. And I'm just going to see which ones lead somewhere. But this was the... This was the exciting thing this week. It's interesting. I, I have to admit, I've got a jelly plate and never really enjoyed it very much. And maybe it's because I haven't committed to doing a lot with it. I just find it, um, maybe it's after etching. I find that it's all a little bit, mm, what's the word, kind of rough and sc- scrappy feeling. And so it doesn't have any of that slightly some slight precision and sort of sucked in energy that I like in contrast so I can completely see how doing it in combination with something that's graphic or flat or you know like the children's book really helps it's like I really enjoyed you doing um uh, monotype printing um over the top of um sheen collet where you so say you're taking sheets of paper that you've chosen that have got those graphic elements on and then you're impressing that with the plate because the plate has got the that kind of rough mark gestural mark that you can get but but jelly prints on its own yeah never, it just never it's, it's just so never done it, it for me I mean, I love what he does. So everybody go look at his profile because he does make some beautiful art with the yeah. jelly prints. But for me, that's not what I'm interested in. And no. I agree, like I'm not keen on, I don't want to layer stencils. Somebody left me a comment and said, oh, but the beauty of a jelly plate is the layering you can do with mm. stencils and doilies and you're not doing any of that. And you know, I don't want to do that because that's not my art. Mine is, and these marks I'm making are very rough and ready, but they're not meant to be pieces of art. That's why they're going in the little books. Yeah. But I yeah. see how I see how layering them over my textured backgrounds that I'm creating could be really cool. Mm. Or in some cases, like the handprint, they're just giving me an idea where I think, oh, that leads me in a different, you know, it's sparking yeah. ideas, really. That's all it's doing. It is. And, and sometimes it's things like, you know, maybe if you enjoy the layering of the color, whether it's through stencils or whatever, 
then you think, well, how can I take that into painting? Or I I do quite like it, you know, when people do things with a jelly plate and then maybe they cut, but that's bringing a precision element back in again. Mm. So that's, you know, that shows me, yeah, that is the part of it that that you like. So, yeah, it's all helpful signposts, isn't it? Oh, that's that looks fun. You've had a fun week, really. Yeah, I've had quite a fun week. So speaking about precision and roughness and, and and all of the things I've been exploring led me to suggest this topic to Alice, which she said, oh, yes, because I've been thinking about that. This idea of does art need to be beautiful? And it's something that <clears throat> I've asked myself at various exhibitions I've been to or various galleries as I walk around. And when I first started painting, for me, creating beautiful compositions and beautiful color combinations was my main driving force and it feels like it's less about that for me at the moment and more about expression and finding ways to express myself um so we thought what a topic we could just I don't know where it's going to go but that we (laughs) could just talk about this idea of does art need to be beautiful and I suppose it's a bit like success what do we even mean by beautiful is the first Mm -hmm. thing um, what do you think, Alice? Why did you think, oh, yeah, that seems like a good topic to discuss? Probably because I think it's an idea that I'm trying to let go of at the moment. Um, and I think it is an interesting one, because I think if you put it in the context of of art history and what the purpose of art was and painting was, you know, if you go... It, it was often about elevating things, wasn't it? A lot of it was religious based. It was telling stories. There was a precision of um, skill and artistry and being able to manipulate the materials in order to tell that story, which was sort of then replaced by ultimately was kind of replaced by photography and has started to become you know just much more about allowing other things into what making art means and I think we just have such a diverse you know more now than any other time diverse range of what art is or what it can be what it can mean Um, so I definitely think no it absolutely doesn't need to be beautiful at all and I think probably some of the most striking art that I've seen probably probably isn't beautiful but am I still drawn to art that is beautiful in some regard is that still what I'm striving for to get a certain level of satisfaction in my own work yeah it is there to a degree in the sense that I don't want to make something that's really really ugly no no I know what you mean because I also, some of the, my favorite art is not beautiful. Mm. It's striking, it's moving, it's powerful, it's whatever is not beautiful. And, and going through these little books and looking at my marks, the marks, some of the marks that I most like, I'm kind of, why do you, that's not beautiful, mm. that's kind of ugly. Those are kind mm. of ugly marks, but I like them. It feels like me. So 
I'm, I'm feeling like there's going to need to be some ugliness coming into my paintings because they feel like me and I want them in there. When I look at them, I get excited, even though I can imagine someone else would look and go, hmm, I don't really <laughs> see what you, I don't really see what you're excited about. But I've, I've made this really large panel that I'm, I've just about finished, I think, that is five feet by two feet, that is layers and layers of personal collage pieces, as well as vintage collage pieces that have some resonance to me or my life. And it looks a bit like, you know, those suitcases when you would, uh, people would go tra on traveling in the 20s and they'd get stickers from everywhere and labels and the suitcase gets really, gets this pattern out of age. And that's what it reminds me of or what I want it to look like. But there's a, there's a couple of compositional things that aren't quite in the right place yet. Or I'm thinking, I just want to yeah. tweak that. And then I think, should that matter? You know, am I, yep. I don't know if that should matter or not. I've, I've achieved the effect I wanted. I've got, when you get up close, you get all sorts of interesting glimpses, all sorts of tantalizing things you can see. It tells a story. People have told me that it feels like New York. Um, quite a few people have said it feels like New York, which is funny. It's a long time mm -hmm. since I was in New York, 10 years since I've been there. Um, but th that little bit, I can't leave it until I've sorted that little bit out so that I don't think it looks ugly. And that I'm just not sure. When, uh, when Rauschenberger was creating his assemblages, for example, was he worried about beauty? I think you give no, no, and yet they look no. amazing. No, and maybe this didn't is leave a, things looking horrible, did he? No, I wonder if this is a sort of contemporary obsession with mm, everything, really. Homes, homes having to be perfect, people having to be perfect. Sorry, effing Instagram filters that put people with fake eyelashes and God knows what plumped up lips. <laughs> trying really hard not to swear here um all of that nonsense all of that nonsense and I think one of the things for me that was when I came back to making art was that I really liked about it was the fact that it has inherent imperfections in it and I think we need to hold on to that and for me for me that was a really that was an important part of of making art and making things by hand. Now there is a complete skill in making things by hand and an artistry um, and an ability level that I'm, that I'm not denying. But I think that there is also a roughness and an immediacy and just, we've spoken before about things made by hand having an inherent energy. And I think that when something is too perfect, when art is, when it's too perfect and too polished and, you know, when you raise this, you know, the reason that I said, oh yeah, let's do this was because I, you know, I have this sheet that I just kind of write various stuff on just as ideas spring into my, it should be in a sketchbook maybe, but I find a sketchbook, the pages get lost. So I just have a big sheet of A2 paper and I had written on it a couple of weeks ago, don't paint perfect, drawn a big outline around it. Um, because I think it's really important that it's not perfect, but of course that is not the same thing as beautiful. And I think often when we start making art, we want to achieve something beautiful because that is a kind of, um, 
pinnacle of what is held up to us as skill. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to do that, to, to reach that level of satisfaction, maybe and avoid the frustration that we have with not being able to achieve it. And then maybe we get to a point and we want to rip it all apart again. But I don't know, maybe some people jump to that. Maybe some people, for them, the drive is much more, you know, it's about the meaning behind it. You know, they're quite happy for art to be shocking. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure shocking has ever been important for me. No. And I was thinking, well, I'm expressing some strong and not ugly feelings, but not pretty feelings. Yeah. So the work should not be pretty. However, I do see, even in really dark times, I always see the good in life as well. Mm. I've always been able to see that. And so I might be, you know, bubbly snot crying, and still there's a part of me that's knowing, okay, you'll feel better soon and this, will, this won't carry on. I'm fortunate enough to never have had that real depth of depression or despair feeling that people have. So it would make sense that there would be both in my work, that it wouldn't be all mm. ugly because that's not how I feel. I don't feel all ugly. So perhaps it's, I was listening to, you recommended a creative pep talk podcast mm. on Instagram the other day. And that led me yep. to one of his other episodes. And he was talking about on their find your style. And he talked about, if you want to find your style, start with the, what you're expressing and then think about how might that look? Yeah. He's more of an illustrator. So some of what he's talking about is for illustrators, but still that idea of, you think about, well, I want this to feel shocking. Okay, well, then it probably will look ugly in some way. But that's not what we want in our work, as you say. So it's more about, so if I think, well, I want a com- I want both. I want the, I want the ugly and the beautiful. I want the peaceful and the, whatever the opposite of peaceful is, chaotic. Yeah. I want, yeah. I want which just comes back to creating contrast, which is what I bang on about all the time to my students. But um, I do want those not just because it's contrast, but because it's that is the meaning behind what I'm doing, that even in the darkest things, there is beauty, that even in the most useless seeming objects can be beautiful. Even a piece of paperwork from the bank can be turned into something that looks beautiful if it's sanded and then glazed over and then and you create texture from it. Now a mundane thing has become beautiful. And so I think for me personally, I'll probably always want some beauty in there because that's what my work is always going to be about to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, the the range is so huge, isn't it? The range is so huge that I think for this to be of any practical or useful value as a discussion, it's worth pulling it back a little bit to not just, you know, does art have to be beautiful because it doesn't. Yeah, we agree that because a lot of it isn't and it does very well. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's more 
it starts to get interesting for me when you're thinking, where does the role of being pretty, well, this is a thing, what is the difference between pretty and beautiful? You know, how much do we associate with pretty as being, you know, trite, insignificant, whatever, mm-hmm. or easy, happy, positive, nothing wrong with that. You know, so just just even your very reaction just to the word pretty or beautiful, how do I respond to those kind of things and where do they fit in my process? You know, how much am I held hostage to that being an important part of the outcome? How much am I prepared to risk it not being pretty or beautiful in order to discover something that's new? That's where it really starts to get interesting, doesn't it? And I think it is something that it's still difficult because, like we've both said, we're looking for things that we personally find beautiful in a sense of discovery and satisfaction. And when you get that in painting, it is still hard to risk it. It is still hard to push it to the next level. And at that point, for me, it's not really it's not about what anybody else thinks about it at all ever at that point. It's it's still that battle with me. Well, is there something that you have found and discovered that you therefore want to keep? Or how much are you, how radical are you prepared to be, maybe? Mm. I have that feeling and I also have a feeling of, well, that's too easy sometimes. That, that, and I say this to students all the time, yeah. that it should be easy. Like what yeah. the thing you should be doing should feel easy and it should come naturally. And therefore, um, don't don't think because it's easy, it's not right. It's easy for you. It wouldn't be easy for someone else. But just recently with some of these really more bold, less pretty, more ugly marks that I like, I think, but it was, but they're so easy. They're so basic. It's less than easy. They're basic. Whereas some of the other effects I can make with paint are quite sophisticated and, you know, impressive. And, you know, wow, I did that. And look what I did with that paint. Look how I made it move. And look how I layered those colors over each other and created that new color. And those are really skillful things, which we work a long time to build up the skills to be able to do those things. And then when I come along and do something really brash I'm trying to think of the right word for it raw and organic and brash over the top of that that feels right to me it looks right to me but there's almost this feeling of yeah but that's not you know anyone could have done that that's that's not the stuff I can do anyone could have done that but like my five-year-old could have done that and and as with you I'm no longer concerned with someone else saying that to me as much as I am, I suppose I just really want to make sure it's in alignment with what I'm trying to do and not yeah. just something that feels a bit cool. I'm not finding the right words for this, but once I'm really confident that, yes, that is what, that's why the, what these little books are about for me, narrowing down my marks and, and the, I'm, th- I'm, when I say that, I'm thinking of marks as, my ancestors and many of our ancestors, when we get the birth records and things, they marked with an X because they couldn't write. And my mum and I have done quite a bit of family history research into the Irish side of our family and everyone was marking things with an X because none of them could read and write. 
And so I'm thinking of it in the terms of personal history and finding like my marks, what are the things I naturally do if I had to make a mark rather than speak? If I had, if I couldn't lay a paint in all these ways, what would I do? So they should feel basic and they should feel really straightforward. And, but I want them to feel really personal too, and to contain something of me in them. So the point of the little books is to curate through the different types of marks I'm making and, and, pick out the ones which are not authentic. Maybe I think they look cool or maybe the colors were nice in it, but it's not really an, a true mark that feels like me versus the ones w- that whichever color I use and however, which way I do them, they still feel like they're part of me. And so there is a curation process. It's just not a curation based on how beautiful they look. No, and I think that thing of finding your own mark, that's interesting because what I was going to say was, do you think, do you think you can go out to explore that? And it's interesting because almost like you and I have been doing the same thing, but through very different routes. Like you've been going out with the jelly plate, like I'm going to do lots of marks and then I'm going to edit and refine and see which ones feel like me or not and I've just been going rather than making new stuff I've been looking at what I've already done and going well what in that Mm -hmm. in those paintings it's it's interesting isn't it because I don't think you can because I've had this thing like, what are my marks? What are my marks? What are my marks? Well, you know, they're just the things that I do without thinking about it, aren't they? Whereas if I go out thinking, what are my marks? I'm going to try and discover what they are. Then I end up doing a whole load of stuff that doesn't feel like me at all. Right. It, it's... I, I did that for a while. And that's why, again, why I suppose why I like the jelly plate. Yeah. Because that's what happened for a while. Yeah. And a lot of terrible prints that didn't look nice and... And then gradually I just realized, oh, I really love it when I do that. Like usually with my hands, usually things with my own fingers, circles, but drawn with my finger. And so they get a bit of a swirl in them, swirly like shapes, which overlap each other, that kind of thing. Um, Whereas I really don't like it when I do, when I use those stencils or I do like it when I use a stencil, but only if I really grunge it up and by doing something else which disrupts the pattern so I like disrupted pattern always always have liked that but I hate pattern so it has to be disrupted pattern yeah um and it's a little bit inspired by when I did my intuitive painting class with Sally Ann Ashley who we've talked about before on this podcast uh she helped me teach a class in my membership group but she talked about she keeps she's much more analytical so she keeps um, a sketchbook of marks when she finds a mark show up in her paintings the way you're talking about she photographs it or whatever or replicates it in a sketchbook and then analyzes what it means and writes notes about it and keeps this kind of bible of marks and what that means my process I I don't personally feel like I need to write it down because just looking at those books is enough for me yeah Uh, to get the shock of recognition of yes that's me no that's not that needs to be covered up but I love that I'm keeping that and I and I don't know I think this is important too I don't know where any of this is going this might all be a cul-de-sac which we've talked about before 
I don't think it is, but it might be. But I think that exploration is so important at various stages of our journey. And that exploration can only really happen if you are willing to forget the idea of beauty. Because if you're concerned about beauty, uh, certainly for me anyway, I shouldn't speak for everyone. If I'm concerned about beauty, I can't be brave enough to try the things I need to try to find out the things I feel like I need to find out. And so I have to let things be ugly or rough or ready or raw and then just see what comes out of that. I think there's something interesting here as well about like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to do with your own work and how much making something pretty or beautiful is part of that. What you appreciate in other people's work. So as we're talking, I'm kind of googling a few things what is beautiful what is pretty and there's a there's um an image here it's called the bluebird series by john emmett and it's a photographic looking piece it's very simple it's just a kind of streak of very light blue soft fading into gray it's not a kind of work that i can ever imagine myself making but I can appreciate that there is absolute beauty in that there's a lightness there's an elegance to it that makes it immediately attractive but not actually you know not in a in a trite way maybe because it's got this edge of simplicity to it as well um I think we are inherently you know by for evolutionary reasons we're inherently drawn to things that are attractive rather than ugly yeah I've never bought a painting that I didn't consider to be attractive all the artwork I've bought I've bought because I like the way it looks yeah but the artwork I might visit in a gallery would be different so I wouldn't buy Tracy Emin's bed even if I could afford it and put it in my house with all the scrumpled up tissues and all of that because it's not it's ugly but the ugliness is the point of the artwork in that case so I love that in a gallery but I would I don't buy it for my house and I remember seeing the guy who does the talk out podcast Russell Tovey I saw pictures of his flat loft apartment whatever it is in Brighton or wherever he lives and he has all sorts of contemporary art he's an art contemporary art collector none of it was beautiful Mm. all of it I thought as my grandma said well I wouldn't give house room to that um you know it just looked but that's obviously what he really loves and I assume he feels it's attractive Mm. but it was definitely contemporary it was definitely I'm sure it was meaningful there were no explanation of what the paintings were or who they were by, so you couldn't tell. But um, it what so I, you know, I do buy things that look nice. What what's the extreme opposite of of beauty? Is it ugly or is it something like you know grotesque? You know that might be quite a fun exercise to do. Think of all the word associations with pretty and beautiful, and with the opposite of that. You know, we've mentioned raw, rough, well 
they can also be very beautiful as well. Yes. But definitely. like, what are all the words associated with both ends of this that either you are kind of repulsed by or you're attracted to? Where does that fit into it? Because I think, you, in, in, and I think in, in maybe curating a collection of work at home, there is something there. It's about how they go together, how things sit alongside each other, how it sits within the space. So you could have quite challenging and, and ugly work, but if it's within a beautiful space, that also has a different edge to it, doesn't it? Mm. And pretty and beautiful, to go back to word meanings, when you said them then, I got a very different feeling from the which you hinted at at the beginning. So pretty, to me, is surface. Those paintings you showed by John, is it John Emmett? They were not pretty. I felt they were beautiful. Mm-hmm. Pretty, and something can be pretty and beautiful, I suppose. But to me, pretty is one level. You can be pretty, but are you beautiful? You might be both, but but you beautiful, as you said, it is so much richer and deeper, and can and can embrace so much more. But ugly, I don't think beautiful can embrace ugly because to me, the word ugly, I feel that's about as far as you can go when you say something is ugly that is saying to me my definition there's no redeeming features in this thing if a person's an ugly personality there's nothing good about them so grotesque repulsive obscene all of that ugly is worse ugly no it's I think ugly encompasses all of that okay so ugliness to me, like in a personality, ugliness, if you said to me, so, oh, he's a very ugly person, not looks wise, but personality wise, I would think of someone who's mean and horrible and maybe repulsive and maybe perverted and maybe all the worst things I think ugly can encompass, just like I think beautiful can encompass all the good things, including, as you said, raw, rough, organic, that raw and rough isn't necessarily ugly it might be but it isn't necessarily are we getting at here the fact that we just need a certain kind of or what we're looking for is a certain honesty like when we talk about pretty being surface that's kind of a dismissive thing because we know that that's not the completeness we might need it sometimes I think what I, what's just occurred to me is what I think I'm saying is beauty is okay in artwork if it's part of the meaning. I think art has I think art has to mean something. Yeah. Or I don't think it's art, then I think it's craft or something else. So if the beauty is part of the meaning as it clearly is in those paintings we just talked about, then then that's perfectly fine. But if the beauty is just there to make something pretty. Decorative. Yeah, then it's a surface beauty, which doesn't have any. And if your work for if your work is about ugly things like war or death or pain or then your work will not look pretty. Mm. It might look ugly because it's about ugly things or 
if like most of us, you contain in both some of both of that, then you might have both in your work. But I, I, I'm going back to the Andy J. Pizza thing from Creative Pep Talk of what is it about? And therefore, then you know what it needs to look like. Yeah. And I think where I used to struggle and I'm still struggling, veering a little bit is don't try and make it too nice when mm. this is not about nice things necessarily yeah nice isn't is not really a good word no (laughs) no No. I think we're both saying that same thing that we both might have a tendency to kind of make it look too good not by the way everybody we're not saying oh we're we're so, so perfect as artists that we just make perfect artwork that's not what I mean Well, I think it shifts. It shifts a bit, doesn't it? And actually, one of the things I've done this week, talking of one of the things you've done is, is um, so I have this pin board behind the computer here. And I took, I kind of had an edit of that, took a whole load of things off that. Some things I just moved them. And a lot of what I put back on is for definite less pretty than the stuff that was up there before less attractive less immediately appealing um rougher easier to dismiss as being oh well that's just a you know whatever but also something about it that's a little bit more striking and I think that's what we're getting at really isn't there is there a kind of honesty yeah and and a and a truth to it you know what is the what is the truth of why you're making what you're making because there is a place without a doubt without a doubt there is a place for beautiful things and I think also perhaps that this is just a journey that we shift through as we make art and it would it would be I've said this before but I think if you take any artist who's been working a long while and you look through a book that is a retrospective of their work there will be stages about it that you like and you think are beautiful and stages that you think are ugly. And I bumped into somebody today who's got um, yesterday morning, actually, who has a large commission painting. And, and, you know, he said, yeah, I'm really glad that we bought that when you were doing, when you were at that stage doing that type of work. No offense. I like what you're making now, but, but I liked that better. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, our concerns with what we're making change. And yes. we've just got to be able to do that. And I think that playing with words to get the right word, I mean, it can be a little bit noodly and a little bit obsessive and all of that. And you feel like you're being a bit pedantic and, you know, but actually getting the words right, getting the semantics of it right can help you ground it into a way that actually, you know, there is a difference. There is a difference between ugly and grotesque or obscene or offensive or pretty or beautiful and and getting taking a little bit of time to get that right I think can be a really helpful part of the process as well as the visual yeah and I think if you decide when you go through that process that actually my what I love to paint is beauty because xyz um, you know, the world's an ugly place, all these horrible things are happening, I want to bring beauty in, or I had a terrible childhood, now yeah. I want to bring beauty in, or whatever the reasons are that you have for that. 
I don't think either of us are saying there's anything wrong with that because that's just as honest and authentic, but it's, but then it's your why. And then it makes sense why you're doing that. It's just that I think, as we said at the beginning, our default when we first begin is to try and make beautiful things because let's face it, if you make ugly things when you start out because you're not skilled and I did plenty of that, (laughs) then, um, that's that's not the kind of ugliness that you want to be sharing with people it's ugly because I can't make it any other way it's not really what you want um so we do have to attain a certain ability to make things beautiful in order before that old saying about you have to learn the rules before you can break the rules but you also have to be able to make beauty before Mm. you can then start messing it up Mm -hmm. could go on a long way with this I've had Theo being home from university he said do we want to have his philosophy tutor on to talk about I don't even know what it was about art but given that I can't understand half of the subjects or the topics that he's doing at the moment I'm like no that's way beyond way beyond my unless he wants to come on on his own and talk to himself No, it's a lady, actually. He said, oh. you'd have a really interesting conversation with her. And I'm just like, I would just be so much out of my depth. Let's <laughs> not go there. Let's not go there. Yeah. So, it's, it, so it is similar to philosophy in the sense that we could go round and round and round and talk about this forever. But I just think it's a really interesting topic and something that hopefully is sparking you as you're listening to just be thinking about this for yourselves. And we often find that when we pick these topics, people write to us and say, oh, how did you know I was thinking about that exact same thing? So I'm sure there's people out there now saying, yeah, I'm struggling with this. So if you are, let us know what you think when you see this posted, because we'd love to know. So for what's inspired this week, I'm going to hog all the time and tell you what's inspired me this week, because I think it's something that most artists will really appreciate. It's another podcast. I'm becoming the podcast queen. But this one is a podcast called Dead Eyes. And um, so the backstory to this, not spoiling anything, is an actor who's 22 years old and goes on auditions for Tom Hanks's Band of Brothers TV show that was on in the, I think, the 1990s, late 1990s. He gets a small part, very small part. He has like two lines, but he's in a scene to be directed by Tom Hanks. So he's Mm -hmm. very excited about it. And Tom Hanks is his very favorite film star. And he imagines how they're going to become friends. And, you know, they're (laughs) going to, Tom Hanks is going to see how talented he is and put him in other films and, the day before he goes to shoot, do the filming, he gets a call from his agent who says, um, there's a bit of a problem. They need you to come back in and re-audition because Tom Hanks saw your audition tape and he thinks you have dead eyes. And so he's like, what? So he goes in, he re-auditions for Tom Hanks and he and then a lady comes out and says, I'm really sorry, but they've decided to go in another direction and we won't be needing you. And this threw him off course. And he spent 13 years selling books in a Barnes and Noble in Manhattan instead of acting. And he then decided to make this podcast to try and understand why Tom Hanks didn't like his eyes and uh, and uh, to understand the nature of rejection. And to and so he brings on all kinds of actors some very famous actors and comedians and people, and they talk about rejection in 
and now it's actors, but it's exactly the same for artists. We don't quite have the horror of the audition process, which sounds horrible, but um, they just talk about rejection and it's a very beautiful thing. And it's three series long and it's not at all bitter or twisted or angry or he even though he held on to this thing for 13 years and left it yeah his yeah life. right okay even though but he turns it from I love that he turns it into an amazing art piece the podcast series itself is an art piece it's fantastic it's really well done the way it's structured and everything and I, uh, without spoiling anything because you'll see it when you see the episodes listed it's 32 episodes and the last episode is called Tom because Tom Hanks comes to talk to him. And that episode, it just made me cry. It was beautiful and perfect in all the right ways. Um, And it's just for artists or any creative person. It's a fantastic journey. You do not have to listen to every episode. I skipped a few where I really wasn't interested. But uh, I, I would recommend you listen to quite at least 10 episodes before you listen to the final episode because then you'll have the full feeling of uh, the meaning of it all Um, and I just think it's beautiful how the the podcast I'm sure is going to make him far more successful than getting that little part would have done all those years ago and so and it reminded me of this feeling of we think we want something we think it's the most important thing in the world to us and it turns out that the fact we didn't get it might be the best thing that mm-hmm. could have ever happened. But we can't see it at that moment. All we can see is, yeah, but I wanted that thing or that person or that house or that whatever. And it's not all, it's never really the best thing for us. The best thing for us is coming if we just let it happen. So I really recommend it. Dead Eyes, everybody. Good podcast. That sounds good. I, I'm having a little bit of a practice at the moment. When are you listening to podcasts? Are you listening to podcasts while you're working around the house, while you're painting? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. In the car, going mm. to the supermarket, going for a walk with the dog. Um, I love podcasts, so I don't really want... Uh, in the evening, sitting on the sofa... Don't put the telly on or listen to a podcast. So I'm a little bit addicted at the moment. I am trying to do the exact opposite at the moment and not have other things, other voices, other anything in my head, not to look at books, not to um, spend a lot of time browsing on Instagram and just to spend more time going a little bit central. Mm. Back to me. But don't listen to Dead Eyes because you'll get caught up in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? And all of these things are fascinating. So this is, you know, it's quite a difficult thing to do, but I just I just wonder how much I'm I'm easily distracted, easily see things that kind of go, oh yeah, that's good, that's nice, that's good. And actually, maybe if I just spend a little bit more time not. So, for example, I usually when I work, I have the radio on or I have music on, usually the radio. Today, complete silence. And it was a it's a different experience. So I'm just kind of practicing with that 
a little bit more seeing mm-hmm. seeing how that goes so we'll see we'll see i don't like being alone with what's inside my head no, <laughs> well, maybe like that's keep, the thing keep noises going well, that's on the so thing. i have to listen to it <laughs> so yeah we'll see how that goes i mean i can't I, I can't imagine that it will be it's a little bit like we've spoken before about you know meditation or a meditation practice and um while i'm not doing that i'm not doing that i am doing a little bit and I suppose this is what the running is about it's about reconnecting a bit with me and my body and what I feel like doing and somebody messaged me the other day about about running and she said it sounds good and what what I'm finding interesting about it is that like I never thought I would enjoy it and actually now if I'm running and it's too much and I have to stop and slow down and then I get to a point where I'm like want to keep going again I want to keep going again and it's just being able to listen to those kind of things and I just wonder if in my work if I leave more space for silence and me it might be easier to hear that than be prompted by other things so that's my my it's funny about a meditation I must just tell you because people ask me are you still doing an hour a day and yeah that got messed up when the dog started sleeping in the bed and but um I thought I must get back to it so I got this app called fit mind which is very highly recommended and it's kind of a meditation training app it takes you through in stages and I listened to the introduction one and then a week ago and every day I go to listen to the second one which is six minutes and 30 seconds long yeah and I go oh, I can't be bothered. I haven't got six minutes and 30 seconds. And then I got to do something else. It's ridiculous. I must be able to find six minutes and 30 seconds. If I can listen to Dead Eyes for an hour, yeah. I can sit for six minutes and 30 seconds, but I find it very difficult. Maybe we just go through phases with these things where we feel like we need them and then we feel like we don't. Yeah, maybe. You know? Maybe. Maybe that's it. Anyway, have a good week. You too. See you then. Bye. Bye. No, that was good. Okay. I think we've gone a little bit longer than normal, but mm. I think we're about an hour. Good.